You're listening to The Connected Calm Life. Today's conversation is going to be about divorce, prayer, finding your way, and surviving and thriving in today's world. I'm so glad you're here. Make sure to check out the show notes over at lanekennedy.com. Check out what I have offered over there. I have some discount codes for uh, Renewed, the Chagachino, my favorite. And most importantly, the Apollo Neuro, the wearable that I wear every day. I wear it uh, to bed during the day, and it has helped tremendously with my stress levels and keeping me balanced. And I have a practice. So for me to actually talk about this is a really big deal. Uh, You can find out more over at lanekennedy.com and grab those discount codes and enjoy your wearable. Let's get into today's show. Here we go. Hey friends, this is Kelly Calabrese and I am here with my co-host Lane and we are doing the Connected Calm Life. Lane, welcome. How are you doing today? So good to be with you, Kelly. Welcome to the show. If you're new here, welcome back. No, if you're new here, welcome. If you're coming back, welcome back. There we go. Uh, We are going to have a juicy conversation today with Kelly Cabrice. And I am looking forward to this conversation in so many ways. We're going to get deep around the ideas of relationships and perhaps divorce. But before we do that, I just want to welcome you, Kelly. Thank you for being my co-host today and for sharing this deep conversation. Let's hear a little bit about you and what got you started in the work that you do? Oh, well, I am happy to be here, Lane. Thank you. You know, I was fortunate that I knew really early, like 13 years old, what I wanted to do. And I wrote in my little diary, I will be an exercise therapist, not really knowing what that meant, but I just knew I was so happy when I was running, dancing, jumping, swimming, cheerleading. There was just this endorphin rush that I was like, what do people not get about this? This is awesome. But there's always a counter to that. And the counter was moving away from a really strong family history of heart disease, diabetes, obesity, cancer, alcoholism. And I just went, oh, I don't want anything to do with that. So I just got on this path, thankfully, early on. And I'm just a disciple, disciplined type of personality where if I know it's good for me, I'm going to do it. And if I know it's bad for me, I'm not going to do it. And I'm just, I know in a minority, but I'm kind of wired that way. You are a minority. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Do I want to get into your brain right now? Oh my gosh. Because I, I you, yeah, you're an anomaly. Let's just face it. Uh, most people, you know, the brain is wired to like in, enjoy pleasure, right? We can't really differentiate. We get into something and we go deeper and deeper and deeper. So the first time that you exercised and had that endorphin rush, how were you able to like stop yourself or did yeah, you just a, like, did you just keep going? Like what, how, how did you do that? It was things I looked forward to. So I was in dancing school. So obviously I'm in school all day and then I get taken to my little dance lesson and I always wound up being, you know, in the front row, in the center. Cause it was just joy for me. Like I love to move and mm. um, you know, same thing with 
you know, softball or swimming or whatever the lesson was, I looked forward to that hour of the day and I really enjoyed it because most of the rest of the time was just, you know, sitting, studying, you know, just doing regular life. So that was like my hour of treasure that I just loved. And after that hour, you got into your life. Yeah. Yeah. When I was younger, I mean, it was obviously school and homework and my parents owned a business. So my brother and I spent our childhood years in their family business, restaurants, pizzeria, deli. So we were always there, you know, cleaning, cooking, serving, doing whatever. So that hour of activity was like, wow, is a reward. Okay. So let's talk about family dynamics for a minute, because I think this is really interesting. If I was raised in a family business as well, And you just touched on something really important of like, you were all in with the family, right? Fast forward to now with how kids are being raised, where, where there's, it's like more school, more activities, but less about like practical application of life. What do you think about that? It's it's like, makes me a little crazy. Yeah. So I'll tell you that my kids are in college. I have a sophomore and a junior and I did a couple of things right in raising them. Maybe not a lot, but a couple. And I believe that the healthy you know, lifestyle and activity rubbed off on them. So they are collegiate athletes, but on their own, they do love to go and exercise. For the most part, they eat very healthy. They're not abusing alcohol and drugs or They just didn't take that route, but they watched me, you know, every day, you know, exercising, moving. And it was our life. It was our lifestyle. So after we'd eat, we'd go out and, you know, play in the courtyard, run around the golf course. We would, you know, they just watched us being active and that being an enjoyable part of life to move. Right. And, and so you did that with your family, right? You set that example, but today, right? Today we look at families and we look at kind of the, the dysfunction, right? The, the, how families are falling apart, right? Because we're so connected to our devices and our worlds have gotten smaller as a result of this thing that we're carrying around that, and I noticed because I have a lot of moms in my life and I work with a lot of moms and there is this conversation about how do I include my kids, right? Because they're so attached to their device that they get upset. Uh, that they are so involved that they lost their relationships. So how do we create these relationships that you and I grew up with, right? How do we get back to those family ties where, you know, like, let's, let's do the business. Let's do the family business. Let's learn about accounting. Let's like, like whatever the business is for a, a family, right? How do we get back to that? Well, first, it's a great question, and it is a major problem. First is the kids are watching you. So it's not do as I say, not as I do. You can't sit there on your device and tell your kid to put theirs down. They are watching you. They see mom and dad fully disconnected, zoned into their phone during meals, you know, just chronically. So you need to set the example. Put your phone down and engage. Your kids are thriving for, they're just running after your attention. They would much rather have your attention than be on their device from where it is bad for their brains. It is bad in so many ways. They can't learn. They can't sleep. So they're also looking for boundaries. You need to set the boundaries. So age appropriate, whatever that means. So if they're little at 7 p.m., the devices get put up, you know, in the kitchen, plugged in, and then that's it. No one touches them. There are actually lock boxes where you can put your devices and an alarm has to go off for them to reopen 
I mean, it's gotten to that point where you have to put that boundary there. Otherwise, you know, it's so sad what's happening all the way to suicide rates, depression. I mean, the things we're seeing in kids today, no empathy. They don't even know what it's like to be empathetic because you can send a message and not see how the person receives it. So set the boundaries, set the example, and then plan fun things, engage, let everyone take turn choosing something fun to do, cook together, shop together, leave the devices at home, you'll survive. I promise you will. I know it's really easy to like say that, right? But we live in a world today that is just, we're connected. I mean, I live in the hub, I'm in San Francisco, and Bay Area parents are really well connected. Any, I think, major metropolitan city is going to be super connected. And, you know, I think it was last year that movie came out um, about... Teenagers, Screenagers, that one? No, great. Well, there was Screenagers, but there was another one um, about the likes. Uh, oh, and it, the one with the Facebook. Yeah, that? around Facebook, right? And, and they showed that, lo- that lockbox and I'd never seen that before. I was like, holy bananas. This is where we're at as a culture, as a society. This, like, that is really heavy for me. And how, you know, they portrayed that child having a breakdown about it. And that's just like a, one family. And then we kind of like exercise that muscle and like view outwards and see every family and then go global about that. And we see this kind of dysfunction happening, this breakdown. So it's really great to be able to say, oh, just leave your devices at home and unplug. But as a culture, we're going in the wrong direction. Right. And how do we, how do we, how do we stop that? Like, what do you, like, what do you do to stop that? What are you doing? Start small. I mean, so I try and take Sunday and not Mm. be on my device. I have two kids. Again, my daughter rides a horse. My son rides a motorcycle. Talk about waiting for an accident, like that phone call, like, oh my goodness, she, you know, she rides a horse. He rides a horse. Anything could happen. But emergencies really are few and rare. And if it's going to happen, someone's going to get to you. So to have to say like, I have to sleep with my phone because an emergency might happen. Like whatever you're telling yourself, it's a lie. Put the phone in the office, put it in the bathroom. What, do not, I mean, besides what it's doing to your brain from the radiation of the waves of the phone, you wind up laying there awake. It's interrupting your sleep, which affects your hormones, which affects, and it just goes down the line. We are not designed to be in front of lights and on technology the amount of time we are. Eyes are being ruined if you look at little kids with glasses. So we have to stop and even start small. So whether you, you know, just power your phone off and leave the room for 20 minutes and then make it 30 and then make it an hour and then start somewhere, you know, nighttime, just have a cutoff, go 10 PM. I swear I will not finish my life and wish I spent more time on my phone from 10 PM until midnight. I'm, I'm not, I'm just not, I'm going to wish I spent time with my family connected, meal prepped, meditated. I mean, whatever. It's not going to be, I wish I scrolled, you know, more. <laughs> no one will have a meaningful life. Your life will not be any more of legacy because you scrolled more. I promise. That's so true. It's nice it with something else, you know, set some goals, you know, read a book, go for a walk, get to the gym. I mean, do replace it with something that's more productive and valuable. Yeah. How much time do you spend on your phone? Oh my goodness, too much. I mean, when I look at my average for the week, it's about five hours a day. 
but I do um, listen to podcasts like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I do listen to music while I'm exercising. I do listen to um, the beats, which are very healing. So I will play them in the background while I'm showering. So the technology is going a lot. And then obviously I use it for texting and other things. But I, I do justify a little bit because I listen to a sermon every day, a podcast every day. So it's part of my personal development. Yeah, I know. It's really, it's really tricky. You know, I kind of go back to when Steve Jobs said, you know, we have a thousand songs in our pocket, lucky us. And I just think, oh, that was like the beginning of the end. That was really the demise that like, it's, it's hard to get around that. You know, it's, it's, I, I, again, I go back to that first opening statement that you said about working with your parents and being with them and being involved and how kids now are missing out on that. And then I think about the family dynamics and over the past year, well, since this crazy, the pandemic has been going, you know, the breakdown of the family and the uprate of divorce. I mean, I can't believe I have friends and they, they didn't make it through right? There's been this really big swing in marital issues. People that I thought were going to be golden for life. So it's just interesting to think about how our relationships are breaking down, how we're being disconnected because of this technology, but more importantly, like just the one-on-one, you know, like the husband and the wife or the partner and the partner, you know, your love person, there's a breakdown happening. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is communication and a lot of it is unmet expectations. And they kind of go together. So the number one need that every human on the planet who has breath has is to be unconditionally loved. That's all we all want. And we're not always great at communicating that. And if we're expecting one human to completely meet that need, that's also unrealistic. I mean, not one person, my husband, my wife, whatever, could meet every need for me to feel unconditionally loved. So that's one thing. So what am I doing to love myself and then have a community of people that fill different gaps? Like, I love my girl time. And this friend is really funny. We laugh. And this person is just so wise and we have deep conversations and this part, you know, so you need a community of people to meet your needs, uh, not your sexual needs. I'm saying stick to your marriage partner, but so we all want to just feel loved. We need to surround ourselves by people who it's a give and take. We help them feel love. We bring out the best in them. They bring out the best in us. So there's that, the community, the connection, it's all lost. The number one need that a woman has is to feel secure The number one need that a man has is to feel um, respected. So when you get in this loop of, as a woman, maybe the man is making me feel a little insecure because what's he doing at night? Or he's wise, what's he doing on his phone in the basement? Or, you know, I'm starting to feel insecure about him, you know, staying out or maybe had, you know, went through another bottle of wine or whatever. And then he starts going, well, she's, you know, on me because she thinks I'm acting recklessly because she's not feeling secure. Well, he's like, well, if I'm already getting blamed for acting recklessly. She's not really respecting me. And I'm going to go out and do the thing she thinks I'm doing. And then so it just starts this vicious cycle of two hurt people hurting people because I'm feeling less secure. He's feeling less respected. 
And that's just, you know, kind of the fundamentals of what our basic needs are. So when that person's not meeting them, we're going to do something. We're going to isolate. We're going to turn to, you mentioned addiction a lot on the show. We're going to get addicted to something. We're going to escape. Um, You know, we're going to pick something to take the place of that love. And whatever it is, it's never going to take the place. Alcohol will never take place. Isolating escaping, um, another man, another woman, whatever. You're going to just keep going round and round and round, trying to fill that space of feeling unconditionally loved. So that that's kind of what I feel like people are have this expectation and it's not getting met. And I'm, for me, it, it's a spiritual connection is really the only thing that's going to make me feel whole and not everyone may believe that, but I just can't get it all from one person. <laughs> how did you figure this out? Um, so when my husband of 25 years came home and he said, my commitment to our marriage is zero and he left <laughs> and it floored me. It, Wait a minute. What? <laughs> yes. It took me to my knees, emptied me out. I mean, it really, you know, looking back now, I can say it was a slow fade, but at the moment when those words came, it was a shock. I mean, like my heart tore, my soul tore. So I went on a three-year, what I lovingly call a sabbatical, and it was really a healing journey. I had to figure out how to make the pain stop because it literally was like a tornado came in and just shattered my world and left me with this gaping, painful hole in my heart, and I had to figure out how to be well again. So on my quest of doing you know, divorce recovery and getting in the prayer groups and doing the meditation, the journaling, and going to the seminars and the retreats and reading the books and the TED talks and, you know, all the things I started to realize, you know, the dynamics of a relationship and it's never a hundred percent one person and zero percent the other ever. So you need to hold the mirror up and say, okay, what was my part in this? And, you know, if you heard my story, you would cry for me. It was wrong. It was sad, but I still need to go, all right, you know, what was my part? Because I don't want to repeat it eventually I do want to be married again. I know I will be, I won't be alone for the rest of my life, but I couldn't take the old me into the future. So I really had to get a handle on this and and be a better me. What was your part? My part was, so when I met my husband, I was 22, he was 33. I had just finished three college degrees with high honors, firstborn New York driver. I was certified as a coach. So um, he was older, he was already divorced, bankrupt, foreclosed on me. He had all the, like, you had to work hard to really fail as much as he did. So I went into it thinking, I'm a coach. I can fix this. And for 26 years, I tried to fix a man who did not want fixing. No man wants his wife to coach him. So um, in my way of trying to coach someone who didn't want to be coached, we were really in two different ditches. So I was hyper-responsible. And then that allowed him to be really irresponsible. (laughs) So I did not really allow him to be a man because I did not trust his judgments because of his his history and, and not being able to trust him. So I had to control everything and, you know, I wanted the best of everything. So I went into hyper performance, hyper achiever mode and it just kind of allowed him to, you know, watch baseball and do his part and... So it didn't allow him, I didn't allow him to be a man really, because I didn't trust him to be one. It's so funny. This is a, I find when I'm working with somebody, this is a common theme 
this kind of uh, high performance. I'm going to control everything. Uh, I'm going to lock it down. I'm going to make it work. <laughs> and I see over and over again, it, that doesn't really work. No. Then there's, <laughs> then there's, there's like no expression, you know, there's no uh, real commitment to that union and letting it grow and evolve over time. Uh, and the other person shrinks, yeah. like there's an imbalance, I guess. Right. There's like, and, and it, it just becomes like this muck. There's no, um, yeah, I've seen this happen again and again. One thing that you brought up is this, uh, prayer group. So I wanted to get into that because I'm a big believer in prayer and meditation. And I love opening that channel to women because a lot of times I think people have this idea about prayer, like they grew up in this, uh, a quote, air, air quoting here, uh, a church environment. You know, I was a Catholic and I can't stand it. Or I went to this and I did that. And it, it's, you know, that kid life that is ingrained in them. And then they become adults and they think prayer. Oh, I'm not doing that. I'm not going back to church. So what was, were you always really big in, in your faith and your prayer? And were you always a part of a, the culture of church? Is that how, how you kind of move through? I did grow up Catholic. I went to okay. Catholic church my mom went to, but when I turned 17, you know, got my license, graduated high school, I didn't go to the church for like 20 years. So it was in me, you know, I, I could probably quote the gospel if I needed to. I could probably, you know, repeat the entire mass but it was um, when we re relocated from New Jersey to Dallas and the kids were little. And we're like, OK, you know, we really should get the kids in church kind of thing was how it started. But we didn't go back to the Catholic Church. We just went to a faith based evangelical church. And of course, the gospel is there. But it was a whole connection for me. It, it really I it just brought me to tears like it softened my heart. And I would just want to leave. I want to hug people. You want to be kind and. You know, so that's kind of how it started, but then really getting a deeper spiritual connection where there was no question that, okay, this was more than coincidence. Like you would pray for something, it would happen. Someone would pray for me. And it's not a name it, claim it kind of thing, but I just saw too many things not to believe. So I went on to do deep study and whatever there was, I signed up for it. So Bible studies, um, you know, prayer groups, women's conferences. I just wanted to receive and really learn. So I did take a deep dive. So the prayer group that I had at my house, I hosted it the year before. So it was the COVID year. Every other Saturday, about 20 women came to my house. And I didn't know these women. They were from a church that I didn't even go to, but I had a mutual friend and they were here for hours. And to be honest, the time went so quickly and I was so peace-filled when they left. And it just blessed me. And it like, it stayed in my house. People would come into my house and go, this is like the peace pad. Like it just was like prayed up and it wasn't weird, religious, sensational. It was a bunch of ladies going around the room, talking about what their needs were. And then we would just, you know, as a group come together and believe that with her and speak life over that situation. So, you know, again, it wasn't some, you know, chanting and incense, whatever. It was just, you know, we kind of went around the room and said, you know, here's what my concerns are. Here's, you know, what I'm stressed about or, you know, I'd I'm praying for a job or whatever. And we would come together as a group and just believe it and speak it out loud. Um, and it, it was beautiful. Incredible things happen. I love that you're sharing this 
Kelly, I, again, I believe so much in prayer and as someone in recovery, it's such a big part of my life. And it's a part of a lot of women in recovery. It's a part of all of, all of our lives because there is something that we're sober. Like I should be dead seriously under the ground. And I believe that there is this power that has, uh, has lifted me has brought me to an awakening to help others. And when you were talking about the prayer circles, I read a book a couple of years ago called The Power of Eight. Have you read this book? I have not. I'm ready. Okay. So this is a really great book. It's by Lynn McTaggart. Lynn McTaggart. And she's done a bunch of research on prayer of these circles, the power of eight. You get eight people in a room and you do exactly what you did and you see electrical miracles. And, and I think, you know, and then there's people who don't believe in prayer, who don't believe in the power of, I call God G O D. And then I look at these circles and I listen to you and I like, I can feel it. I feel differently when I'm in my prayer than I do when I meditate. They're very different textural feelings. Do you notice that at all? Do you notice that? Completely. Yes. I, I totally, totally do. Can I share one? Yes. 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 So many miracles. Okay. So um, when I first got engaged, my husband, ex-husband now did not have any money. So I wound up buying my engagement ring. He was supposed to pay me back. He never did. But for 26 years, I wore a ring that I bought. And to be honest, I resented it. So once the divorce was final, I took the ring off and I was just going to sell it for whatever the weight, the gold and the, the you know diamonds were. So as I was putting it in the envelope and walking to the mailbox to mail this into the jewelry store, I just took a moment and I said a little prayer and I was like, God, one day I'm going to have another ring. I don't know where it's going to come from. All that I know is I am not buying it. And I put it in the mailbox and I close the door. I'm like, in Jesus name. And literally I get back in the house and my friend Jill calls me and she goes, Oh, Hey, did I invite you to my uh, prayer group? And I go, no. And she goes, well, um, you know, it's this weekend. If you want to come, I go, awesome. Well, I'm just packing. Cause I was, you know, packing up the house to move. And I go, I would love to take a break and come to your prayer group. So she gives me the address. It is in the neighborhood that I'm moving. Literally. It's like the next street from where I'm moving to. So I get to meet all these ladies So I don't know anyone except my friend, Jill, and they break us up into groups to pray, just like you're talking about. So I get put with a group and they, someone looks at me and says, you go first. So I sit down and I'm on a chair. They're circled around me. And this, I feel this woman put her hand on my shoulder. And as they're praying over me, I feel a ring slide onto my finger. And so, you know, my eyes are closed and they're praying and it's so moving. I mean, you know that you know that you know that it's God because these women don't know me and they're praying for my kids and like everything I'm concerned about, my how, I mean, everything. Just God puts it on their heart. And so finally, you know, it's over and, and I look up and there's this sweet woman, her name is Gloria. And I look down at my ring, my finger, there's this beautiful ring on my ring finger. And she looks at me and she goes, Kelly, my favorite color is purple. She's wearing purple. She said, I just came from getting my nails done. Her nails are purple. And as the attendant was doing her nails, he said, that is a beautiful ring. And she said, purple is my favorite color. This is my favorite ring. I will never give this ring away. This was on her way to the prayer meeting. She said, as soon as I put my hand on your shoulder, I felt this impression to give you my ring. 
and she slides the ring on my finger. It fits perfectly. I don't have it on right now, but I do wear it when I go out. And it's just, just gore. I always get compliments on it, but it was just mm-hmm. like a little God wink. Like yeah. I see you, I yeah. got you. Like, don't even be concerned about a ring. Yeah. And so it was, you know, just a sweet little blessing. And that kind of stuff happens pretty regularly when you're looking for it, when you're praying for it. It's so interesting that you talked about the touch, mm-hmm. right? There's a, there's definitely like a vibration. There's a tone, a feeling when you're in a group of women or in a group, not doesn't have to be women, of prayer all right right can you feel that oh no did I just break up are you there but hopefully you'll come right back there you are okay right so the difference between prayer and meditation can you share your yeah can you share your meditation practice yes or what's the difference between them yeah so my meditation is more I do use affirmations. So like, you know, I am strong, I am powerful, I'm healthy. I'm so a lot of times I'm doing that in meditation. Sometimes I will have um, music on in the background. I'm really conscious of breathing techniques and relaxing my body. Um, in addition to the um, affirmations, I will do sometimes visualizations where I'm imagining, you know, things happening. Sometimes I'll imagine heaven and, you know, what God would say and Um, so I might go through my body relaxing from head to toe. So meditation, I, you know, I kind of feel more engaged in what I'm doing in the meditation practice where the prayer, I imagine like I'm sitting knee to knee with Jesus or God. Um, I use scripture because I'm kind of sealing it with truth. So I'm using things that he's saying are true with the things that I'm contending for. Um, it's very directed at God has nothing to do with me. I mean, I'm just like casting every care, every stressor, um, you know, I'm just coming to his feet and, you know, just submitting myself and, and repenting and asking. So yeah, they're, they're really different for me. Meditation is more of relaxing and I do meditate every night and it's, uh, it's my gratitude time. Um, but it's, prayer is my gratitude for God. Like you're good, you're near, you're powerful, you're pursuing me. You know, it's all about his goodness and his promises where meditation I find is a little bit more about, you know, me and what I'm believing for myself and my gratitude. Yeah. I I love the, the practice of prayer and meditation and how well they work together and how they can transform life. And so back to the work that you're doing now and going through your journey, and that's, I feel like that's maybe a thread through, through your life. Do you share that with women in your program, in your practice? I do. So for 34 years, I have been a fitness, nutrition, wellness, and lifestyle coach. So I've been blessed to do so many things. I mean, I've spoken on stages all over the world. I've been on all the major networks. I've got best-selling books. So I was, that was already in me. Like mm-hmm. I wake up every day because I want people to be well, body, mind, and spirit. I hate sickness. I hate disease. I hate lack. I, I hate that. So I've been doing that for a long time. But when the divorce hit, I really got committed to looking at the women who are friends of mine who got divorced at the same time that I did. And I just so wanted them to do something healthy. And because I was healthy in every other way, 
I think it was maybe not to say it was easier for me, but I couldn't imagine going through a divorce and being overweight and having illness and having migraines. And, you know, I was already, I had good habits. I was already disciplined. I was still exercising every day. I mean, there were some days I went in the gym and just laid on the floor and cried. And that was my workout that day, but I had a good routine. I was still doing my smoothies and my green drinks. And so um, I just wanted women to do healthy and they don't need to be anything as intense as I am about it, but I hate that women get stuck and stopped in bitterness, anger, depression, sadness. I mean, that whole grief cycle, I never understood. And I had lost before. I mean, I lost my dad and best friends to cancer and I've had business losses, but until the divorce, I really didn't get this whole grief thing. So now I understand it and I can help women get through it so that they don't have to stay in a life of bitterness, anger, depression, sadness, grief, and keep repeating that, you know, with the next guy or never, you know, some women just go, I don't know, I'll never have another relationship again. Like I'm done. I'm fine alone. So whatever health looks like for them, I want to get them there. And then not only healthy, but man, there could be this whole amazing bonus, fabulous life that you didn't even know was possible. Like there's a lot of great things about singleness. No, it's not the story we wanted, but wow, let's make the best of this. <laughs> yeah. It's funny that you talk about the best of, right? So when a woman gets lands in recovery, it's like, you know, drinking or drugs or food addiction or whatever the addiction is, it brings them to their knees. And it's that come to Jesus moment of like, oh my God, my life, this is the lowest point, right? So, and I look at divorce and I'm like, this is the lowest point. You think this is it. But then when we pray, when we meditate, when we begin a journey of self-care, our lives change. And I see it over and over again. And And I can imagine that with divorce, I'm not divorced yet. I mean, who knows what the future holds, but I'm like, you know, one day at a time, I work on being in a marriage that's not always fun, right? It's like, it's hard work being married. And sometimes I get a little jealous of, you know, mothers who have their kids only part-time. I got to say it. I get a little jealous and they're like, oh, I'm going on a vacation. I'm like, seriously. And then they're inviting me and I'm like, how am I going to do that? Like, (laughs) what's going to happen here? But Waking up to our best lives is, is this like gift that we don't know until we're in it, right? So what has been one of these like surprise gifts as a result of you waking up from this divorce? Yeah, you know, I mean, there definitely are benefits to being single right now. I have a total clean slate. I don't have any pets. My kids are at college. The house is clean. No, I don't have anyone to pick up after. And I can literally hop on a plane and I have in like a moment's notice and just have this spontaneity that I never had before that, you know, kind of couldn't as much raising children. And so there's beauty to this season of, wow, like, awe and wonder of, you know, what you can do out there. You can change a job with a lot less, you know, risk where you, you don't have a whole house full of people you're responsible for. So there's definitely benefits to it that you can rewrite whatever you want your future to look like. So I, I do create those vision boards with my clients and I want them to get like 
just really vulnerable about, wow, what could it look like if time and money were no object and you, know, you had this new version of yourself, like the, the girl in you that could have been, you can still have her. What would that victory look like? Um, get really vivid about it and something that would excite you. And now we have something to work backwards from. The skateboarders are going down my hill. Ah. <laughs> Can't hear them. So you've gotten on a plane and gone somewhere else. That's been a result. Oh, there we go. You're back. There we go. So you've gotten on a plane and gone somewhere else. What else have you done? Um, I paint now. I just started once a month. I signed up for a painting class and I just go and paint because that's nice. just something fun to do. Um, I mountain bike, I road bike, I hike, I walk around lakes. I go by myself to movies and I'm okay with that. I will um, go explore a new town. I'll hop and, you know, grab girls trips, love girls trips, spa time, love the spa time. I actually turned my house into a spa. So mm-hmm. I, every month I order something. So I have like my own microderm machine and I have my own cryotherapy machine. I've got the foot detox bath and I've got the red light and I've got an electromagnetic mat. And so anyway, little by little, I'm like, Hey, it's just me. I turned a two and a half car garage into a gym. I've got a sauna. So little by little, I <laughs> like, it's my house. I made it a spa. So my girlfriends always want to come visit me because they're like, yeah, we're going to do spa treatments. So the perks, the perks. Oh. Perks of divorce, creating your life, creating a spa in your life, in your house. I love that so much. And one thing that I really recognize is that life is a series of seasons and we just keep moving through the seasons and divorce can just be a season. It doesn't have to be your life. That's what I'm hearing from you right now is that it doesn't have to be the final nail in the coffin. You know, it's over. No, in fact, we are meant to go into these seasons because we can go deeper. Like some we expect our kids will go off to college. Like you're preparing for that for 18 years. And, you know, hopefully you and your spouse will now have a new season of your life or, you know, even caregiving for elderly parents. We know at some point there's probably going to be that season. It's a hard season, but also can be a beautiful season. And then that season will end. And But you will go so deep in that season if you really embrace it. Um, so, you know, so whether it's the kids going off to college, some parents handle that well, and others are just, you know, devastated. So it's what you make of it. It's what you decide. Some people are devastated from their divorce and other people it's, you know, new life, new freedom because their, their marriage wasn't good. Maybe it was abusive and it was, you know, stifling and it wasn't a place of safety or trust or, you know, whatever it was. So it was a season. You know, I, my first thing is to help, if I can help a marriage stay together, and I have done that many times where if I can help the woman work on herself, the marriage can, you know, stay and be great. It doesn't always take two. Sometimes the one changing, the other will see the change and start to change as well. So that's always my number one goal. If it's safe, obviously, if it's abusive and not safe, then no. It's, it's, again, we just go back to this like crazy time that we're living in, you know, like there's so, it's so different now than it was 30 years ago, than it was, you know, 50 years ago. (laughs) Like it's just so different. And one of the things that I just want to ask our listeners to consider is like the self-care 
right? Just, and I talk a lot about this because I teach mindfulness and meditation and, and, you know, what are you practicing today? So Kelly, what are you practicing today for your next relationship? Yeah, that is a great question. So I have always been a believer in a morning and an evening routine. If you can bookend your day, you know, successfully, whatever that looks like for you, anything that happens in the middle that goes well is just a bonus. <laughs> it's just added fruit. So I do back my day up two hours before my first appointment. So my first appointment is at eight or nine or whatever. I give myself two hours in the morning. And I take my quiet time before I get out of bed for prayer and gratitude. And then I'm exercising and I'm listening to a sermon and worship music. I'm walking, I'm stretching, I'm foam rolling, um, making a keto drink. I'm taking a nice shower. I'm using salt scrubs and, you know, doing all the things. And the spa. <laughs> yes, the spa in the morning. So, yeah, I do take time and I make sure, you know, even if I'm working from home, that I do still, you know, put on a little makeup and get out of the pajamas. You know, it's just part of the routine. Make the bed. It's, it, it all adds up. It makes a difference. And then at night, I usually try and talk to two friends, just connect to, you know, my mom or, you know, someone that I connect with, you know, if not in person, then at least on the phone or Zoom. And I write every single night in my journal, I fill a page and I don't stop until I fill a page. When I first started doing it, it was very mechanical, like, oh, I took my vitamins today and, you know, just kind of check, check. But then it was like, wow, nobody had the day that I had. I got to talk to this person. I got this in the mail. And you just go through your day looking for things to be grateful for. So I can't wait till I can write them down at night. And then, you know, I do the melatonin and the lavender and, you know, I've got the good pillows and I do my electromagnetic mats. So those are some of the self-care. I'm, I'm, I'm probably a 10 in the self-care, I have to say. It's probably one yeah. of the best things going on in my life right now. I read every night. Ooh, what's on your, what's on your bedside table? Oh my goodness. So many. What are your books? A Bible there. Um, right now I have, uh, so I still am in counseling. I probably always will be, but my counselor has me working on assertiveness training. So when you do the assessments, different things come up and I came up low in assertiveness and I, you know, it was just kind of really quiet about, you know, being an enabler and letting everyone else get what they wanted. But then eventually you get resentful when you never get what you want. So he has me working on assertiveness. So I'm reading a book on assertiveness um, oh, so many. I'm reading um, the storyboard book where you tell the hero's journey. I'm reading that. I have uh, my friend Bethany Williams about uh, goal setting, living your dream life. Is Oh, my goodness. I just got a book literally in the mail today. Um, Resistance, Pivots, and Game Changers. That's by Kyle Wilson. Um, so that one is there. So um, I, I give away 200 books a year. So well, we're, not on, we're not on film, but I, I give away tons of on the book. So yeah, love to yeah. read. Reading. It's so empowering. It's, it's, yeah, it's a gift that just keeps on giving, it keeps does. on giving. Kelly, where are the ladies going to come and find you? Well, kellycalabrese.com is where all things live. Kelly with an I, C-A-L-A-B-R-E-S-E. -E. They can find out about, you know, the program that I have for women to help them, you know, get through the grief of divorce to go to great and then fabulous there. Intentionallyfabulous.com is where specifically that divorce program is. Uh, my name is on Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, all the, the places. I have a YouTube channel with lots of videos there on, you know, whatever you might be going through surrounding divorce, yeah. separation and grief and 
shame and rejection and you know, all the things. Which is a whole other conversation and maybe another podcast, honestly. Shame and guilt. Oh. Yeah, the person who leaves feels the shame and guilt and the person who's left feels very rejected. So yeah. we talk about stopping the rejection. Mm-hmm. That's, an, that's another episode. I feel like you're coming back. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> Ellie, thanks so much for being my co-host today. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Oh, it was for me as well. Thanks, Lane. Mama, may you find something bright, something light, and something so delicious that fills you up so you can be the best mom I know you can be. Until next time, take good care, friend. Thank you again for listening. As always, your presence is delightful, and I am grateful that you show up and you listen and you're here with me. I want to invite you to the next masterclass that I'm sharing. Now, I haven't put anything up about this, but I want to make sure that you know about it. It's coming next week. Be looking for the information over at lanekennedy.com. Masterclass on stress. It's coming your way. Thanks again for listening. Love you. Be back next week all over again. Take good care.